0: Thanks for joining us at the Ham South Podcast Network. If you're interested in joining us in our services, we meet at 10am on a Sunday at one Through one or Hoporo in Melbourne. We'd love to see you there. Today's podcast is brought to you by the Neon Kids Programme. Neon is a before- and after-school care and school holiday programme for primary and intermediate students. Neon has two centres operating in Rototuna and in Melbourne. For more information, visit www.neonkids.co.nz. That's www.neonkids.co.nz Now to the pod.
1: Right. so this morning we are going to be talking about the generosity of God. Um, And just as we begin, before we kick into the sermon, we're going to watch a quick video um, by The Bible Project, which talks about this theme of generosity throughout the Bible.
2: Imagine your friend invites you to a party. You arrive, and there's lots of people, decorations, food, and drink. There's enough for everyone. When you're hosted by someone that generous, you don't have to worry about your needs. You can just enjoy yourself and focus on the people around you. Yeah, that's what a good host wants for her guests. And this is the picture of the world that we find in the Bible. Creation is an expression of God's generous love. He's the host, and humans are his guests in a world of opportunity and abundance. And we're called to keep the party going, to spread his goodness. This is a beautiful picture, but it's not the way people experience the world. Rather, we find a world of scarcity and struggle, not abundance. And Jesus grew up in that kind of world, under military occupation, people losing their land or families to debt and poverty. And yet, he would say things like this. Look at the birds. They don't store up food for themselves, yet they have enough. Or consider the wildflowers. They're beautiful and abundant, and they don't stress about their existence. And you all should live that way, too. But surely Jesus knew that things don't always work out. I mean, sometimes there really isn't enough. And Jesus did experience poverty firsthand, but he viewed the world through the story of the Hebrew scriptures, which claimed that our scarcity problem isn't caused by a lack of resources. Rather, the problem is our mindset that God can't be trusted. Maybe God's holding out on me maybe there isn't enough, and maybe I need to take matters into my own hands. And once we're deceived into that mindset of scarcity, we can justify the impulse to take care of me and mine before anyone else. And that leads to envy, and anger, violence, and a world where it seems like there's not enough. The party's over. It's turned into a battleground. But God wants humans to experience his generosity, and so he chooses one people, the family of Abraham. And he promises to give them the abundance that he wants for everybody else. God will provide what they need. All they have to do is trust his generosity. And through them, the whole world will see how generous the host really is. But that is not what happens. Abraham's descendants, the Israelites, enter a land of abundance, and they promptly forget the host who gave it to them. They act like it's all theirs and like there's not enough. And it leads to war and Israel's self destruction. If I were the host of this party, I think I'd just give up. But God doesn't give up. What he does is surprising He gives another gift. Another gift? Yeah, but this gift is different. What God gives is Himself. All right, and Jesus, the host Himself, comes to join in on the spoil party. And notice, Jesus lives with the conviction that there is enough and that our generous host can be trusted. His mindset of abundance allowed him to live sacrificially and generously, even towards his enemies. And Jesus called his followers to trust in God's abundance like him. And that's why he said things like sell your possessions and give to the poor or don't worry about your life. He's inviting us to live by a different story, one that is built on trust in God's goodness and love. But living generously doesn't mean life is going to go well. I mean, look at Jesus. He was betrayed by his friends and he suffered. And this was no surprise to Jesus. He knew that people would take advantage of his generosity. In fact, that was his plan. Really? Yeah, think about it. Jesus knows that we are all hopelessly deceived by this lie that there is not enough. Yeah, that lie needs to be defeated and so that's what Jesus was doing when he gave us the gift of his life Jesus's death was the ultimate expression of God's generous love God's love can turn death into life and scarcity back into abundance or as the Apostle Paul put it you know the gift of our Lord Jesus the Messiah that even though he was rich for your sake he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. And Jesus called his followers to live like the real party has begun. Yes, he called it the kingdom of God. And our invitation to this party is yet another gift, the personal presence of God's own spirit that can teach us how to trust the generosity of the host just like Jesus did. And when you believe there's enough, you start seeing opportunities for generosity everywhere with our time and money, our attention. Yes, one of the most important ways that we can experience the abundance of God's new creation is sharing with others because of our trust that God is the generous host.
1: Cool, let's just pray as we begin. God, we thank you that you are a generous God, that you give to us sacrificially and generously. And Father, we pray this morning, um, as we look into your word and as we look into your generosity, that we would see um, your provision, that we would see how throughout history, throughout the scriptures, you have never failed, you have continued to provide again and again and again. God, would you speak to us this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. So when I picture the Garden of Eden, um, I think everything looks lush. You know, there is a lot of greenery, everything's healthy and thriving. Um, There's lots of colour, you know, things are bright and vibrant. And if I picture the animals, I see it kind of like a Disney movie where the animals are cute and they're friends and they run and play together and enjoy their surroundings. And if I imagine the view that you would get in the Garden of Eden, it's pretty picturesque, you know, crystal clear blue waters, the sun shining, bringing warmth, bringing daylight. When I picture the Garden of Eden at creation, it's pretty idyllic. And although I didn't get to see it firsthand, although I don't really know, what I do know is that God looked at it every day and said, it is good. So I trust that it must have been pretty magnificent. And then God made man and woman, Adam and Eve, to dwell together with him in that garden. And when I picture Adam and Eve, I see contentment and joy in them. They had everything they needed right there in that garden. They had their home, they had each other, and they had their God who they walked with, the one who created them and provided all that they needed and they trusted that God would continue to be with them and that he would continue to provide for them. But then slinked in a shrewd and deceptive sneaky snake with an alluring suggestion that you could be just like God, you know. And when you're Eve or you're Adam and you live in this incredible paradise, you probably would think to yourself, well, oh, well, that doesn't sound... Too bad, because who wouldn't want to be capable of producing a beautiful creation out of nothing? And who wouldn't want to be capable of the generous love that God showed in his creation? And who wouldn't want to know everything, just to have the wisdom of the creator of the world? Well, Adam and Eve, they wanted that. All of a sudden, a window had been opened to them and they could now see a different way of doing things. The serpent had suggested to them, maybe you don't just need to consider God's will, maybe maybe you could actually serve your own will as well. And they hadn't considered that. Up until that point, they had been content. They had been happy, and they'd been obedient to God. When he said, don't eat from that particular tree, They trusted in his wisdom, and they obeyed that commandment. But now, now there was someone telling them that maybe they didn't need God in the way they thought they did. In fact, maybe God was actually holding out on them. Maybe they couldn't quite trust him as they thought they could. They were told that there could be more for them. And I mean, more than harmonious relationship, more than a paradise to live in. And maybe maybe they didn't need more, but my goodness, they wanted more. Genesis 3.6 says, The woman was convinced. She saw the tree, and it was beautiful, and its fruit looked delicious. And she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. When Eve and Adam decided to eat the forbidden fruit, they were saying that what they had wasn't enough. They were saying that the paradise they lived in, it wasn't enough. They were saying that the harmonious relationship they had, it wasn't enough. And they were saying that God wasn't enough for them. And when God created them, he had, of course, given them the gift of free will. And so they had the ability to make their own decisions. So when faced with the suggestion that there could be more, they wanted that more for themselves, and they took it. They didn't look at all that they already had and think, that'll do me. Instead, they looked and they picked out things that maybe they were missing, and they thought, there's more out there for me. So they acted in pursuit of more, and they were hopefully expecting probably wisdom and power to come from that. In Genesis 3, verses 7 to 10, it describes what they found. At that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden. So I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. In their pursuit of more the first thing that they realized was they thought they were lacking. They were naked, and suddenly that wasn't okay anymore. Suddenly they were missing something that up until then had been fine. And when they realized their nakedness, they felt shame and they felt fear. I mean, the serpent was kind of right, wasn't he? He did say their eyes would be opened, but I don't imagine that Fear and shame were what Adam and Eve were hoping they would find when their eyes were opened. The moment that Adam and Eve decided to strike out in partnership with the serpent, or partnership with themselves, really, in order to make a life better for themselves, it was the moment that they were deceived by the ultimate lie, And they stated that with their lives, God hasn't given us everything that we need. It was the moment that they allowed a scarcity mindset to take hold, choosing to focus on what they didn't have, rather than recognizing all that they already had. And the scarcity problem, we know it wasn't caused by a lack of resources, but rather, it was simply their mindset that said, God can't be trusted. He's holding out on us, and maybe, maybe we need to take matters into our own hands. And it was that moment, that one moment, that one action, that set the tone for history The stories of scripture that follow are of characters who lived with the scarcity mindset as though they didn't have enough and that God was holding out on them. Their scarcity mindset allowed them to justify acting for themselves or for their own first. And it led to stories of deception, of anger, of jealousy and of violence. And we see this displayed throughout many stories, but just to name a few, the story of Cain and Abel, the story of Abraham and his wife Sarah deceiving the Pharaoh, and we see it in the story of Jacob and Esau, where um, Jacob deceives his father, pretends to be Esau. And then it continues throughout Israel's history, time and time again, they focus on what they don't have rather than being thankful for what they already have been given. I mean, given the stories that we read of the Israelites in the Old Testament, it's no wonder that come the end of the Old Testament, they're stuck and they're in a mess of their own making. Because filling up these pages of Scripture are the stories of people who continually lost their focus and who continually chose to serve themselves and their own. This scarcity, scarcity mindset had people trapped, living in shame and fear, keenly aware of whatever their nakedness was. Their scarcity mindset told them, nothing's certain, you don't have enough, and nothing, and no one can be trusted, so you need to fight, and you need to covet, and you need to hoard all that you can, because no one else is looking out for you, so you better take care of yourselves." And the scarcity mindset, it still has people trapped today, living in shame and fear, focusing on whatever our nakedness looks like in our own lives. And, I mean, it's not just the secular world. Just like the Israelites, Christians too, have been fatally deceived by this lie that God is holding out on us. Our shame it tells us, you are not enough because you don't have enough. So if you had more, then you would probably be more. And our fear tells us, you better ruthlessly pursue that something more for yourself because come tomorrow, it might not be there for you. And then our shame tells us, you're pretty insignificant. So don't think that anyone else is looking out for you in this world. You better just fight for yourself if you want to get there. And our fear tells us there's there's not enough to go around, guys, so you better look after yourself first, and then if someone else misses out, I guess at least you're provided for. As we continue to allow the shame and the fear to inform us, and we take on the scarcity mindset, focusing on who we are not and what we don't have, rather than recognizing who we are, who we are made to be, and the incredible gift that we have been given. And our culture now, it has been kind of shaped and moulded around the scarcity mindset, and certain things have been allowed to grow up and take hold in order to accommodate this way of thinking. Like narcissism, for example. Narcissistic culture, the inflation of our own importance it's grown considerably in today's age. And entitlement, which is probably a byproduct of narcissism, really. Um, entitlement, no matter what generation you're in, there's this huge sense of entitlement in today's world. And this desire to be materially successful, something which has existed for a long time, but people these days are being celebrated more and more for their material successes, and it's really beginning to set this bar for what success in this life actually means. Our world, it set itself up to feed into the individual, to feed into narcissism, entitlement, and desire for material success. And now we just don't question it. We just don't, we just don't bat an eyelid at it a lot of the time because that's just how we live in 2019. It's like our world is just feeding this beast. And like I said, Christians, we're not immune to this. We're not unaffected by this. Um, Julie actually introduced me to a Sunday school song um, that was a bit before my Sunday school years, I think, but some of you might know it, and it's called Jesus and Others and You, and the words go like this, I'm not going to sing it because I don't really know it, but it says, Jesus and others and you, what a wonderful way to spell joy, Jesus and others and you, in the life of each girl and each boy. J is for Jesus because he has first place. O is for others. You meet face to face. Y is for you, and whatever you do, put yourself last and spell joy. And so I searched the song on YouTube because I didn't know it, and I found this great country version of it, which was quite entertaining, but it added a couple of lines onto the end of it. And the lines were if you put yourself first, you're going to spell Yodge or Ejo. And no one wants Yodge or Ejo, they all just want joy. And I thought those were pretty good lines, actually, because I reckon that we're getting pretty good at spelling Yodge or ejo, which sounds a lot like ego, which I think is pretty pointed, but we're spelling that a lot in our world today, but also within our churches. And if in our churches we're not putting Jesus first, and then others second, before ourselves, if we're not spelling joy, then what is this world going to do? You know, crazily enough, this Year has flown by, and Christmas is just around the corner. And come December, we're going to be looking at the themes of Advent. At Christmas, we celebrate the birth of our Saviour, God's own Son given to us, given to the world bringing love, hope, peace, and joy. At Christmas, we celebrate the first page being written of a new story, And the story that's written is from the perspective of abundance. I mean, little Jesus himself, he wasn't born into much. He was born into a stable next to an inn because his parents were told, there isn't enough for you, there's not enough room for you. And little Jesus, he was born into this world that had this mindset of scarcity. But Jesus himself, as he grew up, as he ministered, he didn't live with a scarcity mindset. Instead, he lived with a mindset of abundance. And so if a scarcity mindset brings shame and fear, a keen awareness of what you're lacking, of your nakedness, and if it presents itself in narcissism and entitlement and in a desire for material success, then what does a mindset of abundance bring? And how does that present itself? Well, let's take a look at Jesus. In the Gospel, according to Luke, the first story that he records after Jesus' baptism, which marked the start of his ministry, was the story of Jesus in the wilderness for 40 days, where he is tempted by the devil. So Luke 4, verses 1 to 13 reads, Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River, He was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing at all that time and became very hungry. Then the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell the stone to become a loaf of bread. But Jesus told him, No, Scripture says people people do not live by bread alone. Then the devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. I will give you the glory of all these kingdoms and authority over them, the devil said, because they are mine to give anyone I please. I will give it all to you if you would worship me. Jesus replied, the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and said, If you are the Son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect and guard you, and they will hold you up with their hands, so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, The scriptures also say, You must not test the Lord your God. When the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him. Until the next opportunity came. You know, I'm seeing some similarities here between this story of Jesus in the wilderness and the story of Adam and Eve in the garden. But then there's also some striking contrast. When Eve and Adam came up against the suggestion that they didn't have enough and that they could be more like God, they were just overcome with desire for that. They wanted that more, and so they acted on it. They ate that fruit. Though in this story, when Jesus comes up against the suggestion that he didn't have enough, Jesus shrugs it off and says, having more physical food isn't going to do me any good. And then when Jesus comes up against the suggestion that he didn't have enough glory, Jesus shrugs it off and points all glory back to God. And when Jesus comes up against the suggestion that he didn't have enough power, Jesus shrugged his shoulders and he reprimanded the devil with the truth and the devil slunk away. Eve and Adam, they brought very quickly into the lie that the devil was selling. The ultimate lie that they didn't have enough, that they couldn't trust God and that he was holding out on them. Eve and Adam, they adopted the scarcity mindset, telling themselves that God had not given them enough, and they ate that fruit, the forbidden fruit, and what they found upon doing so were feelings of shame and of fear. But Jesus, he resisted the devil's desperate attempts to seduce him with his lies. Jesus knew that bread alone wouldn't get him through his time in the wilderness. Jesus trusted in God for sustenance. And Jesus knew that he didn't need any glory. He was here to serve God, his Father, and he worshipped him only. And Jesus knew the truth of the scriptures. He didn't need to test them or to test God's power because he trusted in God ultimately, and he wasn't going to be swayed. Jesus lived with a mindset of abundance, a life built on trust in God's goodness and love. And because of his mindset of abundance, Jesus lived sacrificially and generously towards others. Now, the flip side of scarcity is abundance. And when you live in a scarcity mindset, you believe that resources are limited and that it's every man or woman for himself. But when you live with a mindset of abundance, like Jesus, you trust that in God there is enough, more than enough, in fact, to go around, and you will start to see opportunities everywhere for generosity. In Jesus' lifetime, he seized every moment he could to be generous. We see this in the way that he generously invited 12 others to come and walk with him, to learn from him, um, for him to be their rabbi, and for them to witness firsthand the many miraculous signs that he performed. And we see this in the way that he generously gave his attention to those that society cast off and wouldn't give any attention. The lepers, the possessed, the beggars, the adulterers, Jesus gave his attention to these people. He saw them, he spoke with them, he healed them, he forgave them, he blessed them. And we see it in the, the way that he generously gave his time to the masses. I mean, it's more than once that Jesus is going to pray for someone, to heal someone, to do something important, and someone gets in his way and interrupts him. And no matter what else he was doing, he always had time to stop and to attend to that person, the one who jumped in front of him, the one who called his name, or the one who tugged on his cloak cloak behind him. And we also see this in the way that he generously provided resources to those who need them. Like at the wedding at Cana, Jesus provided the very best wine for those wedding guests. And he didn't have to do that. And when he fed the 5,000, Jesus gathered what was there. He never doubted that he would, it would not be enough. He simply trusted God and trusted that there would be enough. And even at the end, not long before Jesus took his last breath, we read of him generously giving to those criminals who hung either side of him on their own crosses. Jesus offered them freedom, forgiveness from sin, and eternal life with himself and his father in paradise. Jesus seized every moment that he could to be generous. Yet for all his generosity, Jesus really didn't get an easy ride. Jesus suffered for our sake Jesus faced the patterns of shame and fear in this world. He was a victim to violence, to betrayal, to anger. He generously gave literally all that he could. And still, some of those closest to him could only think of themselves in the equation. Jesus suffered and died on a cross, giving the gift of his life to destroy that ultimate lie, that had trapped humanity for all of its existence. Jesus had to die to destroy the lie that God isn't enough, that we cannot trust God or that God is holding out on us. Jesus, God's only son, had to die to prove that there was enough and to prove God's generosity. John 3.16 puts it plainly. For this is how God loved the world. God's love, oh, sorry, he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Sacrificially and generously, that is how God loves this world. God's love turns death back into life and turns scarcity into abundance. And so what are we going to do about this? What can we do to stop living in this scarcity mindset and instead live in a mindset of abundance? Well, like the video reminded us, we have each been given the gift of the Holy Spirit. And with the help of the Holy Spirit, we can learn to trust in the generosity of God, just like Jesus did. The same power that Jesus had within him. The power that raised him from the dead is the power of the Holy Spirit that is within each of us, that we have been gifted generously. Honestly, does God ever stop giving? And the answer to that is, of course, no, he doesn't. God loves this world, his people, his creation, sacrificially and generously. And there is no end to what he would give for this place. I mean, he did give his only son to die for us. And we see through the life of Jesus that God never misses an opportunity to display his great generosity. So I encourage you all to do the same. When you see an opportunity for generosity, seize it, be generous Make a decision to seek those opportunities out, whether it is being generous with your invitation, with your time, with your, with your attention, with your resources, or with yourself. Be generous when opportunity presents itself, because generosity, it's something that we can learn, it's something that we can grow into. I mean, Josh is very good at being generous, um, and he does it quite often, and I'm not so good. Um, But I've been pushing myself to seize moments for generosity and to do that little bit extra or to go that little bit further. And I found that as I've seized those opportunities, as I've looked for them and taken hold of them, I've noticed that there's so many more opportunities out there. I can recognise more opportunities where I can step in and be generous. And this, it's not about me um, celebrating myself for being generous, because then I would be spelling yodge or ejo, and that's not what I want to do. But it's simply about pushing myself to trust in the generosity of God, to know in my head and in my heart and with my hands that God is enough. He is always enough, and he always gives more than enough. Because when we live with God, we live in abundance. We live in great abundance, and we can't ever lose sight of that or lose sight of the opportunities that we get to share in that abundance with others. Let's pray. Lord God, you are so good, and you are so generous, and we are so fortunate to live with you, God. We are so fortunate to have a place in your kingdom, and we are so fortunate that you choose to use us in this world to bring your kingdom to this earth. So God, help us to keep our eyes open, to keep our eyes open um, and focused on the fact that we live in great abundance, that there is in no way a place where we do not have enough if we have you, God. So help us keep our eyes open for opportunities to share that abundance with others, to share your abundance with those who need it more than us, with those who maybe don't find it in any other places. God, help us to keep our eyes up fixed on you and keep our eyes open to see others. And then, God, you provide for us. We don't need to worry about ourselves. Help us, God, to bring joy to this world, to put you first, others second, and then ourselves last. Because, God, when we do that, we will find that we live in your abundance, that we live in your goodness and your generosity. And we find in that place that we will be able to share that all the more with everyone that we meet. So help us to keep our eyes open, God, and to keep our eyes fixed on you. In Jesus' name,
2: amen.
0: Thanks again for joining us for this week's message. Before you go, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Neon Kids Program. Neon is a before and after school care and school holiday program for primary and intermediate students. NEON has two centres operating in Rotorua and in Melville. For more information, visit www.neonkids.co.nz. That's www.neonkids.co.nz. Thanks again.